What's up, y'all? So, I'm back with another Halloween case. This will be the last Halloween case to close out the spooky month and my official first month of doing the True Crime podcast. Um, Tonight, I studied hard to figure out which case I wanted to present to you all. I had two major cases that I wanted to get into but I chose this one the other one I will get into it is a Halloween murder however I'm a history nerd so the way it ties into history I want to do some more research on that before I bring it to you all tonight's case as I read through the trial the news articles the police reports I was severely traumatized (laughs) I do need to give a graphic warning. This case will kind of hit you hard and I will try to bring my humor to it the best way I can, but I do know it might be a little longer than the usual 20. Give me about 25, 30 minutes of your time tonight, okay? Um, Tonight's theme is life, bro. Every L we take may not be a lesson. And it may not be a loss. It's just life. We are in San Jose, California. Though the case takes place in 1984, I am going to go a bit into the history. Okay, Doreen Herbert worked as a physical therapist and her job was next to Lockheed Factory, where Michael Dennis worked as a technician. Mike was not social. Um, He was described as depressed and moody, um, making it difficult to find a girlfriend because who the fuck wants to deal with a nigga who got them type of emotional issues like... Eh, okay, I'm already an emotional wreck myself. Can I take on your issues too? No. That's why I'm single, y'all. Also, Mike stuttered. And I don't like no stuttering man myself. But he stuttered because he suffered from hearing loss. And back in the 70s, hearing aids weren't all discreet in your ear. It was wired. So he had the piece in his ear. And then it was a wire connected to a box. And the box would be like in his back pocket. So that wasn't a good look either, my boy. But when he met Doreen, oh, he said he had met the one, okay? Because this woman was full of life. Doreen was loved by everyone. She had a great upbringing, you know. Like I said, she worked as a physical therapist. She was educated. Everybody loved Doreen. And Mike was one of them people who loved Doreen. And Doreen was able to get past the stutter. Better her than me because, baby, what is you trying to say? She got past the stutter, and they actually married pretty quickly. And then they had a son named Paul. Um, The marriage was a little tumultuous. Um, Remember, he was moody and depressed. And adding financial issues on top of that, who child, they soon discovered they was not for each other, and they divorced. 
they had their little custody battle, but Mike soon just decided to let Doreen have full custody because he just felt like she would be a great mom. Mike had young Paul on the weekends. Doreen was a true city girl, and she didn't let this divorce and the baby haul her back child she found her a man real quick her car broke down one day and she was on the side of a road and doreen was a looker she she caught a man's eye he pulled over to help her and it was kicking and flirting under the hood of the car and he asked her on a date and she said yes and she found out this man owned a whole carpet store, baby. And everybody need carpet. It's the 70s, you feel me? Everybody putting shag, rug, carpets, everything inside their house at this time. So he know where the money resided. And she wanted to be where he resided. And within two years like of them meeting, they married and had a young daughter named Deanna. So it was Doreen, her new husband, Charles. Doreen and Mike's, I think he was two or three-year-old son, Paul, and then their newborn, Deanna. This is where it gets a little traumatic, y'all. Soon tragedy hit and rocked both their worlds, you feel me? Four-year-old Paul Dennis was playing in the Herbert backyard in February of 1980. And being a normal, busy-bodied four-year-old... Listen, because I got a three-year-old and he think he's Spider-Man. So, I already know how that go, okay? <laughs> and if you follow me on Instagram, you don't see my boy dressed up in his full gear Spider-Man outfit. Acting like everyday normal activities is cool. So, they be busy. They be doing too much. Um, the busy four-year-old boy was playing in the backyard. And he climbed over the fence that was surrounding the family pool. Doreen was the only one home at this time, and when she realized she could no longer hear little Paul, she went looking for him. She soon found him unresponsive in the pool. 911 was called. Paul was rushed to the hospital. He was on life support, but three days later, he died. Everybody was devastated, but poor Michael's depression sunk to a new low, where he began to lash out. Listen, my boy, he was mad, but he wasn't dumb. You feel me? He went ahead and filed a wrongful death suit against Doreen and her husband, Charles. They went to trial, but the judge ruled in the favor of the Herberts and said it wasn't their fault. It was just a tragic accident. Another loss for Michael, but... <clears throat> Who is keeping score? In the defense of the wrongful death lawsuit, Michael expressed concern about the Herbert pool before. They actually had a dog who drowned in the pool. And if the dog, you know, doggy paddle, if a dog drowns in the pool, shawty, something ain't right with this motherfucking pool. And Michael had the right to be concerned and actually demanded that the Herbers built a fence around the pool so he could protect his son. He even offered to pay for half or all of it if they were not able to get this fence around the pool because he felt like his son was not safe. And that's a good daddy. Okay, because he said, listen, 
Y'all let a dog drown. My son ain't about to be the next one. Let me get y'all to build this fence around here. I ain't get the money for it. I ain't got time for the, the going back and forth, waiting and procrastinating. But the Herberts went ahead and paid for it themselves. They said, we don't want your money. We got it. We can do it. We feel you. So they went ahead and built the fence around the pool. I guess they ain't built the fence high enough because... I got a Spider-Man on my hands, but it's only so high that he climbing. And I'm concerned that not only did he climb over it, but he climbed down and then went into the pool. Like, So how long were you not listening? And I guess that kind of played into Michael's defense of his wrongful death suit as well. Because he actually mentioned Doreen's use of marijuana when she was... With Paul. And let me tell you something. My name's Cinderella. So you know what that means, okay? I partake in a little recreational. But I do know a set time schedule of when if my kids is up, I'm not going to be up. If she was taking a little break at that time, do you think the police would have even taken the time to really drug test her or anything? No, because she's white. Right, because if she was black, C CPS would already be involved. Yeah, the little information about Doreen's marijuana use was kind of, it was important if they were going to fully investigate it, but it doesn't mean she caused the tragic accident. In the end, it was an accident, and that's what the judge and the jury agreed to as well. He also said something about he he felt like Doreen should have jumped in the pool and tried to get him instead of, you know, going to the neighbors to call 911. Like, he said those minutes could have saved Paul's life. And I do agree because if he was on life support for three days, like, there's a possibility that if you would have got him out the water sooner, he would have had a better chance. But only God knows those answers. So we can't criticize too heavily how a mother responds. And maybe she couldn't swim. Because, I mean, the dog couldn't swim either. So... She had a whole Lake Lanier in her backyard. She knew what the fuck was up. All right? Michael took the death of Paul very hard, as he should. That was his only son, his only connection really outside of himself. He had lost his marriage, but he had his son. Now he has lost his son. And Michael began to tell people that Doreen and Charles did this on purpose so they can get rid of Michael in their lives. Like they didn't want to have any type of association with him. So they decided to kill a child. Like, don't that sound like the worst narcissistic situation to have been a part of? Like, I'm so glad my good sister Doreen escaped that type of depressive thinking process. That is very harmful because even saying that sounds so harsh, bro. Like, really? Okay. The Herberts asked after the wrongful death lawsuit was ruled in their favor. They told him not to come around him them no more. They felt endangered. They didn't want to deal with that. And they had other things to worry about because apparently the Herberts were attempting to expand their family. Doreen had suffered two miscarriages but then was finally grateful for a new pregnancy. Not only did they have a new blessing on the way, but they soon found out that they were having a boy. Ooh, child, talk about a trigger. I ain't gonna lie, that would. Listen, 
the town only but so small. I did mention, or did I not mention, that Doreen and Michael technically only live two blocks away from each other. Really like a six to ten minute walk depending on what you stopping at. So the town only so big. So when bruh found out that it was a boy... Oh, that man went the fuck off his rocker. I ain't saying he went stalking and acting crazy because there were many character witnesses that say he acted completely normal. I mean, besides the fact that his depressive state has caused him to perform low at work. So he got demoted and he had lost a little coin with his demotion. He was making like $13 an hour and they dropped him down to $10 an hour. But... They say he was he was chilling. He wasn't obsessive about Doreen, but he knew. He did know. Let's let's get that clear right now because later on we're gonna talk about how he tried to say he ain't know. <laughs> Play in my face. Halloween night of nineteen eighty four, Michael soon let Doreen know how angry he was. It's about 7 p.m. when Charles and their four-year-old daughter, Deanna, returns home from trick-or-treating that night. Um, Charles and Deanna had went to quite a few houses, but he had saved about four or five closest to the home for Doreen to take her out as well. You know, so she could still get that little trick-or-treating experience. Because Doreen was nine months pregnant, so you know she was about to do all that extra walking. And she was only about five feet tall. And the most infamous little line that has been said about Doreen was that she was as tall as she was wide. So you could tell she was pregnant, pregnant, okay? But when Doreen and Deanna returned, Charles told his wife, like, yo, I'm about to hit the liquor store, okay? The kids' activity don't wind down. I need to wind down. So he, he said, lock the door up. I'll be back. So, Doreen went to go lock the door. And her and Deanna are going through the candy and, you know, having a little little mommy-daughter time where they hear a very aggressive knock at the door. Thinking it was some rowdy trick-or-treaters, both Deanna and Doreen went to the door. Once they opened the door, there was a tall figure wearing a menacing wolf mask, carrying a sword-like object, declaring, I'm going to kill you. Doreen quickly told her four-year-old Deanna to go hide behind the couch, and she did while her mom was brutally attacked. Trigger warning. I will not go into all the details of Doreen and her unborn child's injuries, but it is pretty graphic with the watered-down version I'm about to say now. The injuries included severe wounds to the upper back, shoulders deep wounds that fractured the skull even penetrating two inches into the brain doreen had a nine inch gaping wound in her abdomen and a five inch wound parallel to that as if he was cutting the baby out of her the attacker cut her stomach her uterine wall placenta and cut the her umbilical cord five times the baby was expelled because of the trauma caused to Doreen's womb, and the baby was then chopped up as well. <sighs> that was hard. When I read those parts of the report, like, I was in physical pain. 
Ooh, like especially when I read like how clear and cutthroat the medical examiner's part of it was, I was just like, oh my fucking gosh. Unfortunately, four-year-old Deanna had to be a witness to this atrocious crime. She only escaped her hiding place behind the couch one time to get her blankie and to make sure the bad guy was gone. She then waited less than 10 minutes for her father to return home. And the scene that Charles happened upon was one he will never forget. Doreen was laying in a pool of blood, and he saw the baby's bloody body further into the room. He thought she had miscarried, but it wasn't until he slipped in the blood and fell near his wife's hand, separated from the rest of her. He he went to his wife's aid and attempted to, like, stop what he could see of the bleeding from her shoulders and chest until he realized that the wounds, like, on her legs and her hips and her stomach were way too severe. And so he tried to, you know, crawl over to the phone, and that's when he saw Deanna behind the couch. And he took her into the kitchen to, to shield her from what she probably already saw the extent of. Um... It's unclear why he couldn't get through to the police station in 911, but he did end up calling a neighbor and told the neighbor to call 911. And then he called the fire station so they can go ahead and send emergency responders. When the police came and witnessed the scene, they immediately started to you know, process everything. The fire department attempted to rush the still alive Doreen to the hospital. When Doreen made it to the hospital, she was determined dead on arrival and she had died of her wounds by extreme blood loss. The police took little Deanna to her neighbors while they attempted to question the irate Charles. And he had every fucking reason to be mad because, bitch, they wouldn't let him get in the fucking ambulance. And they tried to question my boy. And Charles was pissed, but the problem was he had slipped in a lot of motherfucking blood. Right, this man was, he was bloody. And like I said, all the blood she lost, you had to be covered in blood when you left the scene. And to make matters worse, they smelled the alcohol on his breath. Remember, he had went to the liquor store. So they arrested Charles. They handcuffed him and put him in the back of the patrol car. And my boy acted that ass. Oh, yeah, he was kicking and punching and screaming and said, I'm going to get all y'all motherfuckers. Just wait till y'all let me go. They held Charles in the back of the patrol car for about an hour, an hour and a half until they went ahead and released him. And they asked him a couple of questions. Um, they asked him about the wolf mask that they had found in the yard and asked him if he had recognized it. He did not. And then among their conversation, he learned of Doreen's ex-husband, Michael, and how they have had a contentious past with one another. And they decided at about 1230 a.m. So they pulled up to Michael Dennis's house and they realized it was along the same journey they took earlier when they were following the path of blood um but they did lose that trail because the blood stopped at some point however they took the similarity in mind and went ahead and knocked on the door 
Now, there was a light on in the bedroom and they heard running water, but there was no response at the door. And after a while, they had dispatch call the house phone and tell him that the police were at the door. Again, it's kind of amazing the kind of courtesies the police extend to white people. Once dispatch called Mike's phone, Mike turned off the bedroom light, turned on the hallway light, turned off the water, answered the door. The police noticed he had some bandages on his hands and cuts around his fingers. The blood coming through and asked what happened to him. And oddly enough, Mike said he was playing with the knife and you know i relate in my spare time i play with knives too the police requested to come inside and once they did they took note of a few details they noticed by eye but they also paid attention to the body language and how michael was responding to the questions of his whereabouts and how he decided to celebrate his halloween evening when he asked why he was being questioned in such a manner, they told him that his ex-wife Doreen had been murdered. And his response was, you're kidding. No, Mike, we are not kidding. It was not like he was easily able to get arrested at that moment because of that weird response. It did take more investigation and more time. It was about three or four times they interviewed Mike and then they finally were able to get a warrant. And once they got a warrant for his home, it was a wrap because the amount of blood that he tracked back to his home from like the wash machine the kitchen the garage the foyer like doreen's blood was all over michael's house as well while executing this search warrant the police also found a label to a stanley 18 inch machete However, they didn't find the machete, but that would have made sense to the long sword-like object that Deanna witnessed and that the extent of the wounds clearly were made by. In the garage, the police found what looked like two coffins and two anchors. And it was later said during trial that Michael's ideal plan was to murder both Doreen and Charles. He wanted to do so in the fact that emulated the the death of his own son. So he wanted to drown them. It was even said that while he was killing Doreen, he asked, how does it feel to drown? I mean, in the beginning, while being questioned, he denied being around the crime and everything. But there were many witnesses, many, many witnesses that identified a wolf just standing outside the Herbert home from like 6.30 to about 8.30 p.m. And as quickly as she locked that door behind her husband, he had to have been watching that whole time. So it kind of confirmed with the circumstantial evidence, okay? Where the challenge came in was to the extent of what law were they going to persecute Michael? Because he never denied his level of wrongdoing in the case. He did deny knowing that Doreen was pregnant. So his defense was built on the fact that he only had intention to go over there and kill Doreen for you to say you did not know she was pregnant is such a far-fetched theory because as everyone mentioned she was as 
tall as she was wide. You could see her pregnancy very clearly. And when she answered the door, it would not have been any different. In the defense of trying to prove that Michael Dennis did not know Doreen was pregnant, they had to have the medical examiner look at the baby's body and organs again, see if the lungs have been expanded at all in a form of breathing, or if the heart stopped or was able to beat outside of Doreen. Unfortunately, both tests came back conclusive that the baby did not live outside of the womb. So the prosecution could not get Michael on a first degree murder because he could not have planned to kill a baby that he did not know existed, quote unquote. And they could not get him on manslaughter because a child is unable to incite an act of passion. So they had to settle for second degree murder. And basically that just falls under a disregard of human life that caused a death. Pretty fair in my opinion to him to have to plead guilty for first degree murder of Doreen and second degree murder of the baby because he was charged by a multiple murder he was sentenced to death in August of 1988 and he was supposed to be sentenced to death by gas chamber however we are in California like pay attention at all to how they handle death row inmates we know it's basically damn near non-existent like they put somebody on death row 30 years ago and they're still sitting there. California actually has the largest amount of inmates on death row, rounding up to about 710 inmates currently waiting their death sentence. However, they will be waiting until they freaking die. In 2019, Governor Gavin Newsom placed an indefinite moratorium on executions basically he felt like it was a failure to the justice system and nobody deserves to be killed by the government i agree i don't believe in the death sentence however i just believe they should be able to let them roam the streets free so their family can get their equal retribution and that's oddly what doreen's father said before he died he said he would kill michael dennis if he ever had the chance but he died in 1998 doreen's mother took on the same sentiment that if he is to ever be released on these streets she would hire somebody to kill michael dennis in the same fashion that she lost her daughter and her unborn grandson So I posed a question for my followers with no context and I had to ask. So what is the craziest thing you have done, witnessed, or been victim to by an ex? So as expected, this question brought a lot of interesting stories (laughs) and Because of the nature of some of the responses, tonight will be an episode with no names. No IG names will be said. I'm just going to read a couple of responses. One person said that they hit their first baby daddy with a skillet and burnt the second baby daddy with an iron. (laughs) Not one of my proudest moments, she said. Another one of my friends said 
she hit her girlfriend with a car and then threw ammonia in her face for cheating on her. <laughs> One gentleman said, she slashed my tires, left makeup and roses on my car on Valentine's Day. And I'm assuming his actual bitch saw that shit and that probably caused a whole nother scene. <laughs> One of my close friends responded and said, I drew down on the whole house because he tried me and then acting like I wouldn't do it when he knew I would. I had the whole house laid down and bitch. <laughs> and the last story for the night, probably the most relatable one. The craziest thing I've done, I went back to his ass. Being a true crime podcast does not mean we will always go into murders. It's just Halloween, and that's how I kind of wanted to start it off. But we will go into kidnapping, sexual assaults. We will go into missing persons, suspicious deaths. I'm pretty much open to any type of crime that catches my eye. It is going to be by case-by-case basis. But if you have any true crimes that you just find interesting and you want to take a deeper look at or you just want to see how my take or opinion on it would be, submit them to anchor.fm or to the IG Cinderella or Cloudy Conclusions and I would be more than happy to give it a deeper dive and come to my own cloudy conclusion thank you guys for listening and make sure you follow me on ig anchor.fm spotify and apple Podcasts at cloudy conclusions <laughs>